This podcast is brought to you by Thrive Market, the online shopping club for people who care about healthy foods at a great discount price and the convenience of ordering from your home and ship nationally for free. You never have to pay full price for healthy food again. Go to thrivemarket.com forward slash MDA like Mark's Daily Apple and start your free two-month trial and get 15% off your first order. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement. Available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, introducing your host, L. Russ. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today we have Andrew Magnus of the ultramentalbook.com. How you doing, Andrew? I'm doing great. Great to be here, Al. That's a great title. Um, we're going to get into that, Ultramental. But, you know, let's talk about endurance racing. This is really what your book's about. It's about training in a different way, a lot less hours, uh, seems like a lot less stress, and you're just taking a whole new approach to endurance training. But before we get into that, the details of that, let's talk about what kind of endurance races are we looking at? What kind of events appeal to you, and what have you been doing in your life? Well, uh, you know, the, the stuff that appeals to me um, is maybe not what a lot of people consider endurance racing. I mean, endurance racing, a lot of people think marathons or um, things of that nature. I, I tend to gravitate towards the longer events. Um, so I have done a couple marathons and some, some triathlons, but I, I really favor um, trying to test myself against stuff that takes, you know, 12 hours kind of as a minimum. So Ironman length triathlon, or then, uh, you know, ultra marathons, um, um, really long format bike races. And then adventure racing is, is a, is a big one for me because it just, you know, the top end of adventure racing is, is week long races as opposed to day long races. So that's kind of the type of endurance stuff that I really am talking about here. Well, will you break that down for us? What does an ultra, um, Sorry, what do, I mean, what do these races look like? And we know the standard Ironman could be like a 15-hour event. But when you're talking about days, what, what are we looking at here? I mean, are you running for days long? Are there several sports along those days? Like, can you break down for someone that might not understand what a four-day event sure. looks like? Uh, absolutely. And, and so there are some, like an ultramarathon, a 100-mile run or 50-mile run. That's just a long day or a day-plus run. Okay. Adventure racing, though, which is probably my favorite format of this endurance race is is a multidiscipline race so it's kind of like a triathlon spread out over a week say if, if you're looking at a really long format race but usually instead of swimming um, there's always a paddling element so some sort of kayaking um, or canoeing is involved always mountain biking as opposed to road biking just because it's often on trails and then in adventure racing, they call it trekking instead of running because let's be honest, when you're past the four to six hour mark, you're doing a lot of walking anyway. Um, 
And the thing about adventure racing that's unique is that it's navigation based. So you're, you're, you don't have a marked course. Um, you're actually navigating using map and compass, not GPS. Is there anyone that never makes it out? Like that really screws that up (laughs) ends up going in the wrong direction. Yeah, there's there's lots of people. And so as we got into it, I DNF'd on a number of races simply because I missed checkpoints. You know, I, I never had to be rescued, but you get to a point where you just are looking and looking and you can't find a checkpoint. You've gone the wrong way. You've gone down the wrong valley or down the wrong trail on your mountain bike. You never find it. And so then you're an unranked team. So it, it's the, the thing I really love about adventure racing is that it's more than simply a physical exercise. You have to stay sharp and keep your wits about you, even when you're hitting these monstrous lows that you'll get in these long format endurance races. And, and, and so it's, it's basically challenging not only your physical body, but also your mind. And it's doing that in a different way than some of these, you know, an Ironman triathlon, you're going to hit lows where you're doubting your abilities and things like that. So you have that in adventure racing, but you also have, um, you know, have to keep your wits about you You have to be able to read a map um, in the middle of the night after you've been going for, you know, 24 hours without sleep. That Um, actually is ultra mental. I mean, you know, even in an Ironman, yeah, you just you're following the course, you can sort of be in some sort of uh, fogged zone if you you felt like it, but not when you're looking at topographical maps and figuring out how to get through the mountain range. Yeah, and and that's exactly right. And and with adventure racing, it's a team sport. So you have a team of of three to four people, depending upon the race. And you are it's not a relay, so you're traveling with this team the entire time. And so there there are you know we we do tricks where one person's got to be alert because I've I've been in adventure races where I'm in and quite a good fog for hours at a time. As long as you've got one person on your team that's astute and able to navigate, but you know, the added dynamic for adventure racing is you have these interpersonal dynamics where when everything goes wrong, um, y- you can imagine how the, the worst relationship uh, that you've had in your own life coming to bear after 48 hours of, of bushwhacking and very little sleep. It's pretty ugly. Um, so there's that dynamic as well that's very, that's very mental, you know. Maybe a strategy would be to get like hire a cartographer and then turn him into an athlete (laughs) well yeah it's interesting a lot of the the really good teams in the world they they have people who have been doing uh you know map reading in other capacities you know either like farm services or something like that and or or yeah been making maps and things like that because they know all the nuances they've been doing it and so yeah so really good teams have some usually have somebody with another background, it's pretty hard to come into it as, as, you know, just a regular athlete who's relied on computers and GPS for navigation their whole life. And you're looking at a map and you're like, Oh my God. Yeah. And that's just at the start of the race. Oh my gosh. So, okay. So before we get into sort of some training aspects, let's talk, I mean, you, you know, you said it's pretty brutal at times and people out there, including myself, I would, I'm sitting, are sitting there going, I'd never do a four day race. That sounds ultra mental. (laughs) So, um, why, what, 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 what's the drive behind it? What got you into it? Why do you like it? What is it about a four day race, adventure racing that, that contributes to your life in a positive way? Well, that's a great question. Um, um, hopefully I can, I can put together an answer that, that will shed a little light on that mystery. Um, you know, I think that there's a big piece of it. That's the same, um, 
as what people get out of doing smaller format races. You know, when, when you do a marathon, you get a sense of accomplishment. You set a goal for yourself, you train towards that goal and you achieve it. And that gives you a sense of capability um, and, and confidence in, in your own agency in terms of your life. You know, I, I want to do something. It's going to be a challenge. I'm going to work towards it and, and you achieve it. So, so there's definitely part of it um, that's the same there. The difference is, is with my background, um, those challenges need to be greater to give me the same thing. In other words, you know, I, I don't, I don't get that sense of accomplishment from going out and running a marathon. For me, running a marathon, I'd have to be aiming for a certain time. You know, I'd have to say, oh, I want to try to do under three hours or whatever. And so, so I could, I could work it that way. But the, the other part of it for me that I don't get from just doing a marathon or whatever is a sense of uncertainty and, and not everybody embraces or enjoys that sense of uncertainty. But you know, for me, when I get into these races, I want to be able to ask the question, not can I make my goal time, but can I finish this? Right. Uh, You know, can I, can I go through all of the lows that I'm going to know I'm going to go through and the despair um, and can I have these conversations with myself when all I want to do is quit and go home and see my kids and all that kind of stuff? Can I, can I manage that and still come out the other side having gone through this experience that I set out to have? And, you know, in the long format races, it basically, you know, you know, my background before racing was in mountaineering. So I would go and do these big climbs in remote regions around North America and sometimes overseas. And be out in the middle of nowhere, suffering in, in snowstorms and, and all of this sort of stuff. And after having kids, I'm not willing to take those risks anymore. So part of it for me is these long format races. They, they take that experience that I had in the mountains um, and they condense it into a few days. So I'm not gone for weeks anymore. Um, I'm gone for, you know, days or maybe a week at a time for these longer races. And it's, it's this constant um, experience where I get to have um, that same type of feel and that same, you know, you don't take things for granted, right? So when you ask somebody why they climb mountains, um, they get a different perspective on things. And then they bring that back to their mundane life. And for me, it's the same thing. When I go out there and I suffer and I'm, I'm walking for 24 hours and my ankles are swollen and I just feel like crap, and then I come back, everything I took for granted before I no longer take for granted, you know, a cup of coffee in the morning, just seeing my kids, all of that sort of stuff. I'm renewed and I'm ready to deal with life in a different way. So, you know, that's what I get. And I think uh, you probably have a lot of listeners who do ultra marathons or who at least, you know, uh, I know Mark has done a lot of stuff like that. Um, and, and that's really what you're getting from that. You're getting this sense of, of renewal, or at least for me anyway, um, and the long races, they do that for me. You know, I get that uncertainty, the renewal, and also this sense of confidence from completing this challenge. So kind of a complicated answer, but it's, it's a complicated question. So, yeah, no, that's good. Um, well, let's, let's get into conventional versus unconventional training. So, I mean, a lot of us already know they're listening. We know what unconventional training was like super carving up and carving up along the way. And, you know, uh, training at a, longer periods of time than than you're talking about because you're limiting your workouts big time now compared to what you used to. So give us a snapshot of what unconventional training might have looked like for you 
in a adventure race, let's say, and like how you used to prepare and used to do it versus what you're doing now. So let's talk about the past. You know, what was the training paradigm for you on these kind of races before you figured it out? Well, it's, you know, for me, it's, it's probably the same story that a lot of people have that have kind of come to more of a minimalist approach. But I was, I was wanting to do, let's say an Ironman triathlon. Um, so back in 2003, when I did one of those and I was thinking, oh man, this is this big event. What am I going to do? I'm looking online and reading books. You know, the triathletes training Bible was the, the standard at the time. And I'm trying as best I can to emulate these workout protocols and they're massive, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, I'm a fairly competitive person. I want to do well. So Joe Friel's training Bible says I should be working out 14 to 20 hours a week. And I never managed that. I never came close, but I was doing my best. And I was putting in these eight to 10 hour weeks of training, um, sometimes longer. And I just thought this is the only way I can approach these events because this is, this is, there's no other literature on it. This is the way it's done. And so I was trying to do that. And I was, you know, I, I was dealing with injury. I was dealing with a severe lack of motivation. Um, and I stuck with it and I managed to do this, this, this Ironman back in 2003. But then as soon as I'm done, I'm like, oh, I'm just, I'm done because I've put so much mental and physical capital into this race and it's taken up so much time and energy and strained relationships and all sorts of stuff. It's, um, it, it's a pretty common story, I think, sure. um, for elite athletes. And, and then I, you just, you just want to be done. Um, I did the same thing when I trained for Primal Quest, which was a 10-day adventure race in 2006. And it was training for that race where I, I just thought I was going out on weekends and doing 12-hour days in every weekend. I had a, a one-year-old or an infant, actually, about six-month-old baby at home at the time and and was living in New Zealand at the time. So it was a new country for, we just moved over there. And so it was training for that race, trying to put in these 20-hour weeks. And it, it, my marriage was was really stressed because of that. And I came back from that race and I thought, man, I can't do this anymore. It's just, it's not tenable. Um, it's not a solution for me. And so I thought a lot, and I talk about this a little in the book in the opening chapters, but I realized that, you know, I still had the ambitions. I, I thought maybe I just need to let go of this and do 10Ks and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't get myself to let go of this desire and this ambition to do these really big races. At the same time, I knew, you know, I'm, I'm going to lose my wife. I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to have to basically decide if I want to do this and train the way I've trained before to sacrifice those things. And, and I was, it was clear to me that I wasn't willing to do that. <laughs> right. Like the Sophie's choice, like my family or an adventure right. race. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think uh, I'm glad you chose the, um, your family. <laughs> well, and, and, but so actually what I did is I realized because, you know, I, I had, I, I was getting something from this that I knew that was important to me as a person. So I don't, you know, it's, 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 it's really, it's a difficult thing. I couldn't give up, um, the racing. Right. Still innate in you is a desire that you just can't shake. So then you have to figure out a way to like. Right. And you know. Exactly. And so if it wasn't the racing, it'd be the climbing or whatever, but it was that need for adventure to push myself, you know, my body and mind um, in these extreme ways. But so what I, I came up with this third option, which um, is what the book is based on, is that, all right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of get rid of conventional wisdom and say, I can't train that way because you know, that's a choice I'm not willing to make because the sacrifices I'll have to make. So 
I'm going to see if there's a third option, which is just training my ass off for a very limited time and then still entering these, you know, uh, multi-day adventure races or ultra marathons or whatever and seeing how that goes. And, it, you know, I started out thinking, all right, this is an experiment. It's good. It's giving me something to focus on, limiting my training volume. And what I was surprised at is that I just got, um, I got better. I got faster. I got more motivated. Um, and it, I've never looked back really. Well, and it's interesting because, I mean, you're talking about cutting down from 20 hours a week to like three hours a week, which, you know, a lot of people right in your line of racing would be like, that's insane. That's too little, you know, of time to really prepare, but you found it isn't. (laughs) Well, you're right. I mean, and that's, it's exactly what I found when I initially started. I, I, I would go onto these uh, forums and triathlon forums and, and all sorts of stuff. And I'd ask these questions. I'd say, Hey, is anybody else doing this? And, and everybody thought I was a troll, you know, where I was basically just trying to be incendiary and, and create these uh, outbursts by saying, hey, has anybody else tried training for an Ironman on three hours a week? They thought I was just, you know, trying to piss people off um, when I was being completely serious. And, and I, so I didn't get a lot of information um, from other people. You know, I was just kind of doing it on my own and, and, and building routines based upon, you know, like I took a low volume running routine that was a three day a week running routine with two days of cross training. So it was, it was still five days of training a week. And I said, all right, what if I just do these three days of running, but I make one biking and one paddling? And, you know, so I was just kind of cobbling this together. But yeah, what I found is just that it was it was really, really good. And, and, you know, I'm not, and sorry to interrupt, but I'm not surprised that you actually did better because when we look at, you know, everything we talk about with primal paleo nutrition and and training and health, I mean, that kind of training at 20 plus hours a week is, is, is overtraining. I can see how it would really impede someone on an adventure race. You're already exhausted and overtrained by the time you start, I'm assuming, (laughs) you know, and then you're probably the, the carb burning, sugar burning athlete at that point. So you have to sort of keep on that hamster wheel. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I can only imagine just, it's just such an interesting conundrum to be in. Like you have to switch the whole paradigm. What about your team? I mean, did you get everyone involved in on it first? Like, Hey, let's try this all together differently. Or was it just you at first? And then you were noticing you were performing better than your teammates, you know, like how did that work? Well, it was, it was interesting because I have a twin brother um, who is, was on the adventure racing team. And he was basically the guy I was trying to keep up with in terms of, he was very ambitious in terms of adventure racing. And he was, his goal was to have an elite, uh, adventure racing team and be one of the top teams in the country. And he was, he was actually, his team was getting much better and they were starting to place and get podium finishes. And so initially he was, he was not, really trained. He was training a traditional way. He was putting in long days. And then I, I came back from New Zealand to do a couple of races with him. Um, and then when I moved back to the States, I kept racing with him. And over those first couple of years of my experiment, I continued to, uh, be as fast, if not faster than him and the rest of the team. Part of it is because I gained heaps of speed from, you know, more high intensity training and speed work. Um, and, and it was, it was great. Like I had, I I was pushing those guys, the rest of the team, which was doing this traditional training. And with my twin brother, for me, it was this great, uh, you know, crucible, this kind of test, uh, because here we have the same genetics up until, uh, the beginning of my experiment, we trained very similarly. 
And so he's continuing with this old training methodology and I'm using this new training methodology. And even with this drastic drop in volume, I'm as fit, if not fitter than he was. And so after a little, after enough time, you know, a couple of years that he, he and his partner, um, who was also on the team started to take note and they have since incorporated a lot more of this low volume training. He still doesn't do as little as I do. He can't quite let go of the, of the long bike days and, and whatnot, but, um, he does do a lot more and a lot less, I mean, a lot higher intensity stuff and a lot less. He'll get on board when you continue to beat him, you know I mean? Hey, beating your brother, that's always a, it's always a goal when you have a brother, right? <laughs> Just dominate. Yeah. And he, he's, he's a great athlete and he, you know, and, and I'll talk, I'd like to, to touch on a little bit of, of that in a second, but the one other thing I wanted to mention related to your question is, is, you know, once I connected with you, I actually went back and listed, listened to a, a bunch of your podcasts. And one of the ones that I listened to first was number one, which was a real short podcast uh, with Brad and Mark. And one of the things that I loved about what Mark said is, I mean, I wish I would have listened to this years ago, but um, he talks about changing the paradigm with which he approached this stuff. And he says it very well. So I encourage anybody who hasn't listened to that first podcast to go back and do that. But he talks about how when he was overtraining and he was doing all this stuff and just chronically uh, injured and all this sort of, you know, had all these health problems as a result to these 20 hour weeks, high mileage weeks training for his marathons and stuff. He, when he changed from that, he still wanted to really do this endurance stuff and do these races, but he just changed his goal of going to these races and knowing that he had trained as little, you know, so much less than other people. And he wasn't worried about being competitive with the guys that were going to win the race. He was looking at it. Look, I'm healthy. I'm fit. I've only trained. So, you know, a few hours a week for this and I'm going to do as good as I can. And this is my goal is to, you know, what does he say? He says, beat all those people who have trained, you know, four times or five times as long. And, you know, ego is always involved to some extent. And I think that's okay. And, and, but that's kind of what I've embraced is, you know, I like going to the races. I know I'm not going to win. Uh, you know, elite athletes have the capability of training 20 hours a week because it's their job, because they're getting massages every day. They're getting all this sleep. They're having the, the optimum nutrition. They don't have the stress of dealing with a real life in the ways that other people do. And they're devoted to it because they're getting paid for it and all this sort of stuff. So they're willing to make all these sacrifices. And I don't know why the conventional wisdom is like trickle down uh, from elite training. It doesn't make any sense to me because most of the people that are using that and they're showing up to these races are not elite athletes. So to try to emulate elite, um, you know, elite athlete training protocols doesn't make any sense. And, and that's what Mark really hit on in that, in that first podcast and that I kind of use as well doesn't make any sense to try to to do what these guys are doing um you know we learn from what they're doing we learn from what works from what these elite guys are doing but we you can't possibly try to emulate everything they're doing and have any success so right and and since you brought up mark mark let's talk about what he had to say about your book um here's mark's quote he said the world of endurance training is on the verge of a revolution as we awaken to the idea that chronic exercise and sugar dependency is counterproductive to both health and performance. Sometimes less is really more, and Andrew Magnus conveys this in his book. That's a quote from Mark Sisson about your ultramental book. Right, yeah, he was the first guy that read it, so I was really excited about that. 
Hi, listeners. It's Brad Kearns to talk to you more about Thrive Market. And boy, this is a favorite subject of mine, shopping online, because it's so convenient. You can navigate to the exact products you want so easily, quickly. You make better purchasing decisions. And with Thrive Market, they do a lot of the homework for you because they put up only the healthiest, highest quality food products you can find at fantastic discount prices. It's really like Costco meets Whole Foods online. And this is a shopping club, so you pay a moderate annual membership and get all the kinds of foods and groceries you want for 50% off retail prices and always ship for free anywhere in the country. And they have great filters, so you can put things like paleo, gluten-free, vegan, raw, non-GMO, organic, fair trade into the search engine and find the exact products that you desire. They even have the best non-toxic household products, beauty, pet, and baby products in the market. So you're sitting down, you're going shopping, you're having fun, and then you open up this wonderful box of only the very highest quality food products and household products you can find. What's cool about Thrive is they have a nice mission. They have a charitable cause. So for every paid annual membership, they donate a free membership to a low-income family, teacher, or military family. Now, If you want to join the movement, go to thrivemarket.com and check it out. Scroll around. I know you'll be excited when you first land there and see all the cool products that you're familiar with at those super high prices sometimes at quality, healthy markets. But when you go to thrivemarket.com, the prices are slashed. And for listening to the podcast, you get a special deal of a two-month free trial. So you don't have to pay that annual membership until you're convinced that you're going to be a Thrive customer and you get 15% off your first order. Two-month free trial, 15 off your first order. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com forward slash M-D-A, like Mark's Daily Apple. Go check out thrivemarket.com. You will love it. Almond butter, super cool trail mixes, primal kitchen mayo, dark chocolate, and more. So let's get into a little bit more. You you mentioned 80-20 rule, which is a little different than our sort of like what we talk about 80-20 in terms of nutrition. So to everyone out there, uh, this is not another discussion of the 80-20 rule in terms of 80% going as hardcore as you can with primal eating and, you know, leaving 20%. This is not about eating. This is about training. So tell us about this 80-20 philosophy. Well, I mean, the cool thing about the, the 80-20 rule is I think that, you know, I, I came across it as in terms of the Pareto principle, which is just another name for it. Um, and it has applications really, you know, across the board. If anybody's interested in, in it, they should just Google the Pareto principle or, or 80-20 rule. And, and, you know, people have applied it to economics, to, you know, to Facebook, to everything. And it really, it, it, it's not an exact science, but it basically it talks about how 80% of the um, effect comes from 20% of the cause. As far as fitness is concerned, I looked at it as if 80% of my fitness potential comes from 20% of my training time. So what I try to figure out is what 20% of the time um, is the most important. And for me, it was it was a pretty obvious answer. I mean, there's plenty of research that shows that high intensity training is the most efficient. And so my thought is I can reach 80% of my fitness potential on 20% of the training time that I would have to use in order to get to 100%. And 100% would be if I was a professional athlete, if I was devoting all my time and energy and resources to um, being you know the, the best physical specimen I could which of course so, so few people do and, and isn't really important to me anyway. Um, 
the nice thing about this 80-20 rule is there's you can do multiple iterations. So you can do 80% of that 80% and 20% of that 20%, and that gives you a 64-4 rule. So uh, basically, I can reach 64, which is two-thirds roughly of my physical potential as a person on 4% of the training time that I'd have to use to reach 100%. So it's this, it's this kind of law of diminishing return. So for me, I, I've grasped that 4%. And so that 4% of training time is high-intensity work. And to get to two-thirds of my training potential, that's pretty good. I mean, that's more, if you really think about that, it's not two-thirds of I mean, it's two-thirds of what you would be if you devoted your entire life to getting as fit as you could. And that is more as fitter than most people out there. I mean, I'm, I basically figure I'm at about that. I train about an hour a week these days, um, and I train really hard, high-intensity stuff, and I'm going out to these big races, and I'm finishing in the top quarter of the field. I love it. And you know what's great about that? It's so... It- well, it's sort of in line with, I mean, our ancestral heritage. I mean, when we look at, we're really designed for these short spurts, sometimes lasting hours if we're chasing an animal for many, many hours. But we weren't, you know, we're not doing that on a, a daily basis, which is where, you know, Mark sort of figured out this like chronic cardio business and, you know, probably the overtraining with these adventure races. I can see why you would be even more prepared for something long. I mean, if you're doing short spurts, they're stressful, you know, adrenal releasing hormone kind of activities, but you're then chilling out for the rest of the week and then you hit an adventure race. I feel like everything's just charged for you to go on that versus someone who's training 20 hours a week. I mean, when I think about that, it makes more sense to me, just sort of from a primal perspective. Um, if that makes any sense. Well, no, and, and I, I, I agree. My experience, you know, backs that up. I, I have not, once I shifted to uh, low volume, high intensity training, I haven't been injured. I used to have, you know, issues with uh, plantar fasciitis and knee problems, IT band issues and all of that stuff when I used to train long hours because honestly, you know, the, the repetitive motion, if, if you're training 60 miles a week or, you know, 80 miles a week for running, that repetitive motion is is damaging. It doesn't matter how slow you do it. It's time on the feet sort of thing. And so well, not only that, the mental and physical suffering of 20 plus hours a week of that kind of, an, you know, and relationship suffering and everything else, it's just not, uh, by the time you get to the race, I mean, I can see being sort of drained out in all those areas where you're training, you know, three hours a week or something and then go kill it, kill it on an adventure race. I mean, that, it makes sense to me that you're prevailing. It's even, it's even uh, the, the other aspect that I think is important to mention is the only way for a normal person, and I consider myself a, a normal person. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not that fast. I'm not an elite level marathon or anything like that. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm ambitious. But most people that I've met, you know, that are these recreational age group athletes, the only way they can do 10, 12, 14 hour weeks is to do it slowly. So most people have to choose between the high volume and the high intensity because with, with the stress levels of a normal life and a job, they, they can't do both. Um, people can try to do both. And typically what I found in training people, what happens is because they think high volume is important, what they do is they'll, they'll do both for a week or two. And then after their Sunday long run, when they get to their Tuesday high intensity track session, they'll say, oh, I'm not going to do that or I'm going to back off on my times. And so they'll favor the high volume stuff over the high intensity stuff, which to me is crazy because the high intensity stuff is, you know, science has shown time and again that that is the most efficient way of training. It gets you faster. 
It increases the, the size of the mitochondria, which is, you know, for your energy transport. And it is the most beneficial use of time. And so for my training program is focused on, I'm going to preserve the high intensity stuff. I'm going to do as much high intensity stuff as I can manage on a consistent basis, which I find right now is somewhere around, you know, 40 minutes to an hour a week. And then I'm only going to do long stuff if it's serving some other purpose, like I'm going out and having fun with my family on a long bike ride. And then it doesn't matter because, you know, I'm getting something else out of it. But as far as training goes, if I'm, if I'm giving up my high intensity workouts, or if I'm not maximizing my ability to do those workouts, then my training is not as effective. And for me, since my goal is to do these really big, hard events and do them as well as I can, I'm really interested in maximizing my fitness per unit of time. And so you can't do that unless you, you keep the high intensity stuff at the core. Well, and let's, you know, interesting segue right into the mental side of things, because you know, when you mentioned before, like, oh, the 20, 30 hours a week, the, the, the stress, the suffering, the, the just, oh, not looking forward to it, but I guess I have to do it, that whole kind of thing. I mean, that right there is such a stress in and of itself. It's like tapping yourself out before that race comes. When you're doing an hour a week or three hours a week and then that race comes, it's like all the stressors are ready to fire. Like, and then it's an exciting stress, right? It's kind of a, then it's fun, you know, then you're, then you're in it for what that's all about. But if you've been training for 30 hours a week for, you know, months on end to prepare for something, I mean, do you know what I'm talking about? It's an exhaustive mental, right. There's that, there's that whole element to it. So I've, I can see how you would show up to a race mentally, you know, more prepared on a mental stress level basis. And then also 20 hours a week. I mean, how much cortisol and stress hormones are we releasing and not recovering? And I mean, it sounds like, it's a disaster, as we know. This is, this is a lot of what Mark was talking about. Is what he, the, the issues that he was facing had to do not just with you know joints and things like that, but also these cortisol levels that you know he had elevated for years. And you know the, the mental point is so important because you're right. When I show up, I mean, there's there's two things I think with the mental side. When I show up, I'm healthy. Uh, you know, at the at the start line of a race, I'm healthy and I'm excited because I you know I'm getting to 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 use all this training. Um, and it hasn't been a burden, you know, it hasn't been a burden. And so right, like the event is the only time you're going to quote unquote suffer a little bit, but it's a fun suffer because that's the event right. versus it, it, suffering all the way up until it, and then being, you know, tapped out. <laughs> it's a purposeful suffering and it, and it's limited in scope. You're right. It's like the, the suffering I, I think about it is, um, success, uh, success induced or sorry, suffering. And I can't remember how I say it in, in the book, but I talk about it. So when the suffering enables success, then that's perfect. And that's what happens in a race. So when I'm in a race and I'm in my low point, my knees hurt, my ankles hurt, and I just, I want to quit. I think, all right, this suffering is enabling me to succeed at this event. When I'm out on a, a 20 mile run and I'm suffering, I don't get to say the same thing. It's, it's, it's several degrees of separation away. Because right. you, know, you don't have that direct connection here. I think, well, I signed up, I paid money for this race. I traveled here. I'm with my team or even if I'm doing it solo. And this is what I came for. And, you know, I've done enough races to, to be able to get through that really easily in a race because I say, look, this, you knew this was going to happen. You knew it was going to be hard. This is why you wanted to come. And then I just keep moving and eventually it goes away and I start having fun again. Um, the other piece of that that I think is important is that when I train using high intensity stuff, when I'm training an hour a week and then I show up at a, you know, a 50 mile run or something like that, 
I don't have the same expectations that somebody who is trained following a traditional training program has. I know that the feelings I'm going to get in that race are unique and that I haven't, you know, I, I haven't made this easy for myself. And I, I think that a lot of people who use traditional training methods, and I've seen this, you know, talking a lot, talking to a lot of people um, doing running and, and all this other type of racing, they follow these traditional training programs and then they get to an event and when it gets hard, they, they, they have this, this default to saying, well, I should have trained harder. Right. You know, there's almost this expectation where if, if I follow this marathon program, you know, then this marathon is going to be easy. If you're running hard, a marathon shouldn't be easy. You well, know? and also blaming yourself in the process when you're starting to slow down is my, maybe not the best, best mental message to send to yourself anyway. That certainly isn't a positive, you know, winning type of attitude either. Right. No, it isn't. And, and, you know, so, so for me, like I embrace the challenge. I look, it, it's, it's exactly what Mark said in that first podcast. I show up at the start line. I, I think I'm going to tackle this with, with less training than anybody else here. And so that's motivating to me. And it might not be motivating for everybody, but that for me is hugely motivating to, to show up and say, look, I'm going like to do this, you know, on, on one hour a week of training and I'm going to be awesome. And, you know, I'm not winning, but I, it, it's just, it's, it's an extra good. event you're achieving within the event. It's almost like, right. It's like an extra exactly. win. It's an extra win. I get that mental aspect of it. It's almost like, Hey suckers, you guys are all training three hours a week. I only got one hour a week. Watch what I'm going to do. It's that I get that. <laughs> and I mean, it's the thing is that there can only be, uh, you know, one winner and I, I know I'm not that guy. And so rather than try, you know, rather than put all that energy and that, that, that effort and that struggle into trying to compete at that level when, you know, the amount of, of devoted energy it takes, is just massive. And it works for some people, right? There are elite athletes, there's gotta be winners, but for everybody else competing on that level and, and following that protocol that is designed to, you know, impossibly try to get you to there just doesn't make any sense you know well, and it is a professional full-time job was what you're saying if you want a family and you want a job and you want to not you know and still enjoy these adventure races there's no way unless you sacrifice all these other things in your life and you're not sacrificing anything it sounds like one hour a week wow okay you know I mean, that's everybody in the world can do one hour a week of high intensity training and it's not you're not suffering anymore before the race Right. Well, and you know, the, the one thing I, I, I want to be clear on um, for the listeners is that, you know, high intensity training is hard. It's not for everybody. So I have a capacity to do that. And, and a lot of other people have a capacity to do it as well. So, you know, I, I am, I'm definitely suffering during the week, but I'm suffering for minutes at a time. And the payoff is so great that mentally that's a lot easier for me. Like I would rather say, all right, I'm going to hammer out these intervals on the track and I'm going to feel like I'm going to puke at the end because it's going to take me 15 minutes and it's going to enable me, you know, in, in four weeks to go and run a 60 K mountain run, you know, that, that to me is, is that's what I want to do. Um, because it makes it accessible. It enables me to fit in this passion of mine into my life in a way that is, you know, allows for all these other aspects of my life to be nurtured and, and to be great as well. And so for me, you know, it's, it, it's worth it. And maybe other people get other things from exercise and don't want to, um, to go through the pain of a high intensity workout. Cause I, I will be honest, you know, I, and I think a lot of people get turned off to this type of training. Cause when they try, they're like, Oh, wow, 
I thought it was just an hour a week. No, it's an hour a week of really focused, intense effort. But if you can manage that, then the payoff, you know, it's all you need to do. Yeah, I mean, if I'm looking at a choice between 20 hours a week or or one hour of kicking my butt, I think I would choose the one hour of kicking my butt, definitely. I think most people would say that would be a more ideal scenario and just more pleasurable of the overall training experience. Um, you know, the longer the event, the more men- the mental side is critical. You talk about that. So can you speak a little bit of, of, on that too? Yeah, absolutely. And that that's the the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize um, the the how high intensity work translates so beautifully to to endurance. Um, I I think of high intensity work. The goal is is to increase fitness, increase speed, power, all of these things. The true the true nature of a long event is that you never approach those uh, those out. You never approach those outputs. Like I will never be running a you know ultra marathon and have my heart rate at 195 or, you know, 200 where it regularly is during my interval workouts. It doesn't even come close. Um, but my fitness is there. My, you know, the oxygen transport systems, the, the muscle recruitment ability, all that's there. Um, and so I can perform very well for those first couple hours. I can run, you know, my, my, uh, zone two running speed, which is like my conversational running speed has gone really high because I've been doing all this speed work. Um, and so, when the race gets long, I mean, the paces slow way down. I mean, they invariably slow way down, you know, especially for non-elite athletes. So for adventure racing and in, in, in long format runs and things like that, it, it all turns to mental because physically, I mean, you're physically capable of, of going for days at a time. Everybody is. I mean, you look at, and I use this example when I'm talking to people about it to try to get them to understand what I'm talking about. You know, this idea that, hey, when it, when you get to, you know, 40 miles in a 50 mile race and you still got 10 miles and you think it, you're think you're at your limit and you want to quit. I say, you know, it's ridiculous because you look at refugees all over the world who are walking with everything they own for day after day after day after day. And they're doing it because they have to. Right. The difference is that we have to, you know, in order to. Um, to succeed at these endurance events, sometimes you have to tap into that sense and it's hard to tap into that. And so that's why I think it's so much mental, right? If, if you can tap into that primal ability to, to endure you know, the physical suffering and to recognize it as if it's not a choice, as, as if you know, I can do this because I have to, Right. There's a drought and the only water is 50 miles away and I'm in a hunter, I'm an answer, I'm in a caveman or whatever. Yeah. Right. And, and that's, you know, that's part of what I get out of these races is I get to connect to that part of myself that is actually geared for survival. And I think that so much, you know, so we don't have to do that these days. You can live your whole life and you can never get in touch with that part of your brain that is, is there only to make sure that you make it. And that's why it makes more sense, though, the way you're training, too, because all, you know, all facilities are fired up and ready to go at full capacity when you have not exhausted them 30 hours a week. Right. And, and you use you use the endurance when you need the endurance. You know, I mean, you use that sense of like I can I know that I could go out today and I could walk 100 miles. Right. But if I do that. You know, if, if I if I approach my training and say, all right, I'm going to prepare for this 100 mile run by going out and doing 40 mile runs, 
man, I'm just, you're, you're, it's, it's like we've already talked about, you're hurting yourself. You're actually, you're damaging your body before you need to, because you can't really go a hundred miles without having niggling issues, without having swollen knees. And I mean, because there's that repetitive use. So your body's going to say, Hey, you know, let's, let's, you know, you're going to, you're going to have issues. But the thing is, is that you're going to have issues in training and I don't want the issues in training. I want to show up at the start line healthy it's fine if I have a uh, swollen knees and if I have an IT band issue when I'm, you know, 40 miles into a 50 mile race because I get done and I sit on the couch and I recover. Right. And without getting too much into the science, you know, I'm uh, publishing a book called the paleothyroid solution here coming up soon uh, with Mark. And, um, you know, if we look at thyroid hormones and you need uh, really substantial adequate levels of T3 for energy production, and, and stamina and everything, just brain function. When you're overtraining as an athlete, there's this potential to have what's called a reverse T3 problem where your, your prime, the primal perspective says, okay, this guy's, this guy's in trouble, all right? He's been running 30 hours a week. He's clearly, you know, we're going to shut down some testosterone production because he probably shouldn't have a child right now. His you know, body fat's really low, so we might cut off this fat-burning you know, thyroid hormone that's also related to everything else you're going to need for that race. So at the end of the day, your level of training is really more in line anyway with how our endocrine system like primally would think about itself. You're doing yourself a favor. I bet I bet your thyroid hormones and everything are fired up and you're not you wouldn't have that problem in an adventure race cuz your primal perspective is seeing it as your once a week hunt or your, you know, every now and then, okay, they're in trouble, they've got to do this, but it's not going to shut down everything else because you've been chronically doing it before that. Does that make any sense? It, it make it makes total sense, and you know, I, I it really it works that way for me in the sense that I I get so fired up when I do the long events that that I feel so capable um, in terms of of what my body lets me do, um, and I don't feel you know it, it's 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 kind of it's it's it parallels what you're saying at least my experience does is that that I, I train short, I let my body recover. Um, you know, after every workout, I never work out when I'm not recovered. And then, but when I ask something of my body in these big races, it says, all right, we'll let you have that. You know, we'll let you go for another six hours, even though you haven't had water, you know, we'll let you do that because we know that you're only doing this because you need to right now. And, and we know we can do it if we have to. And, and yeah, so, so. Right. And your body has, it's actually a risk that you're taking if you're overtraining uh, pre an adventure race, like we talked about the 30 plus hours a week and, and who knows what else people are doing, because you don't know at what point your primal, the primal perspective of your body is going to kick in and go, it might be race day where it kicks in and go, all right, you know what? We've had enough now. It's been a couple of months and we're starting to shut stuff down for you. It could be race day. Like you don't know. I mean, I mean almost to avoid the potential of that happening, it would behoove anyone to train in the way that you're talking about. I mean, again, we're not talking about 100% full-time pro athletes here. Obviously, they have a different level. But, but yeah, um, I want to ask you about how, how long have you then been doing this way of training? I have been doing this way of training since I started in 2006, just after Primal Quest, but really since 2007. So it's been about eight years. And you know, I started with a, a limit of three hours a week. Um, and I'm now down basically as over the last eight, um, eight years, I've experimented more with, with 
with what I call super high intensity training, which is actually finding my limit instead of, you know, uh, 80 to 90% of, of my ability. I'm, I'm trying to get to where I'm, I'm approaching failure. Um, which is, is something I don't really enjoy. I'm actually gravitating back towards, you know, doing one or two hours a week instead of for a while I was doing, you know, 20 minutes a week. Cause it was all I could muster because five minutes and I was, I was on the ground for 10 minutes and, and there might be issues with that, you know, so it was all an experiment. Um, but, uh, yeah, so since 2007, I've, I've trained three or less hours a week. Um, and, and right now it's about one hour a week. Um, and you, and know, you rest the, the one, a lot, like after one of these races, you know, you're talking about a full week of recovery. So smart. I mean, right. You know, here you are, your body's allowing it to do what it's doing. Now you're going to send it the message that I'm okay. Now I made it to the watering hole or whatever. I mean, really, this is all right. primal. So then your body's like, okay, cool. We're going to get back to normal and repair him right now. I mean, you go three days after an adventure race and you're like, Oh, I'm going to just keep my quote fitness and take a run. You know, it's and people just, they, they can't let go of that. So many people I know, it's like they're, they're, they're tied to this sense of, you know, it's, it's not about fitness. It's about workouts, right? So their fitness becomes their workouts and they're not the same thing. And, and so I see a lot of people who, you know, they, they don't feel fit unless they're working out, which is absurd because, you know, working out is, is stress on your body. And, and your body's not designed to handle stress indefinitely. And so, you know, you get people that do this big race and then they have what I call like the post-race blues. You know, you've, you've, you've put all this effort into it. You kind of come down and, and you think, all right, I got to start training again. You know, you try to combat that by just getting back in the gym, going for runs. And, and it's crazy. And so, you know, the way I look at it is because I do high intensity training, I, I use what I call baseline workouts, which is a, you know, a workout of, of, uh, high enough ability that I, you know, know it's on the treadmill or whatever. It's a 10 minute workout. And when I get done with a long race, I'll wait a week, I'll go back and I'll, I'll start up that 10 minute workout. If I don't get that, if I, if I miss that first interval, even by a second, I say, all right, I'm going to wait another three days because I know, you know, a lot of times you feel recovered, but when you try to do a hard workout, you know, if you're recovered. That's right. And so I don't waste, I don't waste time going. I mean, you know, I'll go for bike rides with my family or whatever, but I don't waste time training quote unquote, um, if my body's not ready to train again. Uh, no, it's so, so smart. Um, you know, speaking of sort of, if anyone's interested, because if you're, if you're looking at training differently, um, your website, ultramentalbook.com, you've got a free guide that you offer to people, right? A little, little snapshot to give to people to start, start moving in this direction. I, I do. Yeah. It's, uh, um, I just decided to kind of put some of this information out there. Um, it's, uh, I'm going to do a series of them right now. I'm working on one that's specifically geared towards ultra running. The first one is geared towards general fitness. And it's basically, it's a, it's a one hour series. So it's the entire training protocol is, is based on one hour of weekly training. And for this first one, it encompasses kind of a multi-sport uh, thing. So I think that the workouts tend to have, you know, a biking workout, a running workout, um, a swimming workout or paddling, and then some, some strength training. Um, and that's all within one hour a week. And, you know, it's, it's what I was following. I'm training a guy for a big mountain run now using some of the protocols. Um, and it's, it's good. It's, uh, it's pretty much what I do these days. Um, and it keeps me feeling like I can go out and and tackle pretty much any race that I want to tackle. That's awesome. Um, well, the, the book is available on your website, ultramental.com. And there's also ways to contact you there. And there's a lot of information up there, a blog and some free guides. What else would you like to leave our audience with before we, before we go? 
Um, well, you know, I, first of all, I want to thank you. It's been a, it's been a great opportunity to to talk with you. Um, Our pleasure. You know, I guess if I wanted to leave people with a message, it would it would be something about how you got to figure out what your goals are and and be realistic about those goals. And I think that that those the goals should motivate the training, but you have to be smart about that because if your goal is to be competitive, you also have to look at everything else about your life, um, about, about how much time you can actually devote to training. Um, and, and again, for me, and, and this is, this is, you know, my opinion, of course, but the first thing that you need to do is figure out your capacity for high intensity work, um, in terms of maximizing your, your physical potential is figure out how much high intensity work can you mentally and physically do and build your routine around that. Add time if you have more time. If you're single and you got all the time in the world, go for it. Um, but but really make make the the crux of your workout schedule or your training high intensity work. Um, it's better for so many reasons. You get you get less injury. You know you have more time. And also high intensity training it focuses you. So you have to really be even more focused than if you do uh, lower intensity stuff. Um, and, and also I, I'm a big fan of, we didn't really talk about it, but the whole, um, fat adapted athlete, I think is critical. If you're going to be doing long stuff, it's as critical as the mental component. Um, without a doubt, um, after chatting with you off the air, um, Ellen and I chatted a couple of weeks ago and talked about fat adaptation and I hadn't heard that term before, but I just, just to make sure I was fat adapted, I went out. Um, before breakfast and, and did a hard 10k and I felt great. So I figure I'm, I'm all right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a couple, I mean, a couple quick signs for everybody. I mean, I'm sure people listening know the difference between, you know, sugar burning and fat burning if they've read the primal blueprint or listened to a bunch of these podcasts, but essentially it's the shift in paradigm from running, you know, fueling your body off of glucose and having it be carb glucose dependent and switching it into, you know, depending on fat as fuel, which takes, you know, a month to transition to that. And if you are, a lot of athletes, you know, who are now running into health problems and getting insulin resistance because of this old paradigm of, you know, jamming carbs in your body constantly while you're training. And, you know, that's just not going to sustain you. And especially for long adventure races, you want to be fat adapted. You're going to be able to go longer and stronger with mental focus and, you know, mental and physical stamina uh, versus having drops every, you know, couple of hours because you're just constantly depleting glucose. So, yeah, I mean, that's an important element to training. And, and, you know, what's, what's interesting is that there's, there's quite a bit of new research, which I'm sure you've read, um, or, or, you know, maybe that like Tim Noakes and some of these guys are doing, um, yep. about this and, and my, you know, it, it almost seems like in terms of carbohydrates during training, all your body really needs is a signal. I mean, they've done all these studies where you're doing swishes of, of, of water and you're not actually getting any carbohydrates at all. Um, and that's as effective as ingesting carbohydrates um, in a lot of these studies. So, um, and you know what? Uh, one of your guests was talking about one of these guys, famous ultra runners, doing a you know a ten hour run on one one gel pack and stuff. So, it's it's definitely it's definitely really good stuff. And especially for these long races, you know, your body, your muscle glycogen is gone after three or four hours tops, and so. You know, if, if, if you're not, if you're not able to switch and, and, and utilize fat effectively, you're screwed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, well, the bonk we, is, is, is not something you have to endure. Right. And it's also, 
not a healthy sign. <laughs> That's a bad sign when you when you do bonk, right? Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. So uh, yeah. It's uh, it's uh, it's definitely it's definitely something that is is exciting. Um, I think for endurance athletes out there to to make this shift if they haven't already and to see how you know training aside training is important of course but just the shift is is pretty important and fundamental in terms of if you really want to go places in endurance yeah and mark and brad will be talking a lot about that in their book coming out in 2016 called primal endurance where i'm sure they'll just completely detail how to eat and get fat adapted and and work that way on a on a dietary level as well but so if anyone's interested, Andrew Magnus, great to have you with us, ultramentalbook.com. And um, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, thank you, Al. It's been a pleasure.